Lord, that's our prayer. Uh, that we would uh, go deeper into surrender to you today. Uh, maybe uh, we came in here not surrendered at all. Maybe surrendered a little bit. Maybe surrendered in some things and not others. Uh, but you deserve our every breath. And you deserve our lives. And that's why we sang that song, so we could connect with that truth and confess that to you in this moment. So take us, God, and lead us into life. And uh, whether we don't know you yet and you're going to lead us to yourself today, faith in Jesus Christ, or if we've known you for a long time and we just need to be reminded of uh, this life with you, what it uh, requires of us, what you, what you gave for us to be able to live life with you. Just, just remind us of the whole thing, God such a blessing to serve you and to surrender to you today. As uh, we take this offering, it's just a, another emblem of our surrender to you. We just want to return these, <laughs> these blessings that you've given us, these resources that are all from you. We want to return this portion of it to you so that you get uh, the very best from these gifts, glorifying your name here at our church. We, we want to turn this sermon time over to you, and I personally want to surrender to you, God, now as, as, as the teacher in this moment. Just uh, push me aside and speak in my place. Uh, Holy Spirit, uh, do your work in our hearts as we talk about saying goodbye and leaving a legacy. Uh, may our legacies, God, uh, point people to you and to your goodness because you are so good. We praise you today, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Turn around and say hi to someone before you sit down. How's everybody doing? It's great to see you here as uh, we continue in this series this morning. We started at the beginning of the summer called On the Road. We're looking at the third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, a guy who was responsible for bringing the gospel to the Gentiles and ultimately kind of kicked it off so that we could sit here today. Uh, it's been a joy to kind of walk through these scriptures. Today we're going to get to a part in Acts chapter 20. Uh, starting in verse 17, where we see Paul saying goodbye to some friends. Uh, they're the elders at Ephesus, where he spent about three years of his time uh, building and growing a church. Uh, he's uh, he's going to not see them again, he tells us. He says, I won't see you again. This is it. And uh, he, he goes on after saying that to give them some charges, some things that he wants them to do as they lead the church in Ephesus. But he starts with a really long goodbye. He starts by saying, here's who I was when I was with you, and as I, as I say goodbye to you, I want you to remember these things that I lived out in front of you and cling to as I serve Jesus amongst you. It's a, it's a long goodbye. Does anybody like long goodbyes? I'm not a big fan of long goodbyes. You guys like long goodbyes? But goodbyes, goodbyes are uh, a part of our lives. Isn't that true? We say goodbye all the time. I was thinking about it last night when I was getting ready to preach, I'm like, I mean, goodbye is, is constant because we're always coming and going. There's always people that we see and then we're leaving. And then uh, goodbye is just a part. Like some of you said goodbye to some family members who aren't at church this morning so that you could come to church and uh, hang out with us. And then at the end of this service, I'm going to say goodbye to you. You're going to say goodbye to me. And we're going to hang out and do whatever we do during the week until we come back next time. And then we'll say hello uh, and then say goodbye. Isn't there a Beatles song about that? There's like a, yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's just constant goodbyes because there's constant motion. We're always leaving and coming. Some goodbyes I like. Is anybody, there's, there's some goodbyes. Like the dentist, happy to say goodbye to him, right? Uh, uh, you know, I love my job. I really do. I love work, working here. I love serving with you guys. 
Uh, but there's been very few days where I've left this office and, and been like, man, I wish I could stay. I mean, I'm happy to go home at the end of the day. Has anybody else got a job like that? I mean, that's just the nature of things. I like my wife better than my job. Everybody should be happy about that, okay? Uh, uh, there's, there's the goodbyes that I'll, uh, I'll, I'll never have to do again, but I, I was always happy to say goodbye to the band concerts that my kids were in because they go on for like nine hours. How many kids have to play a solo in these things, right? Seriously. <laughs> Some of you are there. There's people clapping. I mean, I love, you know, anyway, don't, don't get me started. There's, lot, there's good goodbyes, and, and then there's really hard goodbyes. There's really tough ones. You know, it's... A couple months ago, there was a bunch of seniors here at our church that uh, gathered for one of many parties where they were saying goodbye to each other. It's the end of an era, an end of a phase of life. They're launching into adulthood or whatever it's called now uh, as they leave high school. There's, there's the goodbyes that come at the end of a long run where we've lived somewhere and we get stationed somewhere else or we uh, get a job somewhere else. Uh, uh, we have to uproot ourselves. Maybe some of you are sitting here and you're in that situation. You're looking for your next church and you're re- remembering having to say goodbye to your last church, wherever it was that you came from. And, and that was hard because you get used to life with people and you get used to being loved and being able to love certain folks. The hardest goodbye is, is the final goodbye. I stood in front of a, a lot of services where good people like you all gather to say goodbye to someone who's gone on before them. Uh, that sense of finality just adds to the weight. Goodbyes can be hard. Goodbyes are a part of life. Can we all agree? Especially that final goodbye, everybody's going to get there. Unless Jesus comes back, we're all heading there. And then people are going to stand up on a stage or stand up in front of a a crowd like this and they're going to talk about what they remembered about you. They're going to say that so-and-so was this and -and so-and-so was that and I'll always cherish this and I'll always cherish that. What's going to be said at yours, at your final goodbye? They'll outline, uh, unintentionally, but they'll outline your legacy. A legacy is just something that's left to someone. It's an inheritance. That's the first definition in Webster's Dictionary. It's an inheritance. Uh, But we understand legacy in a spiritual sense is is the imprint that we get to put on people. And legacies can be uh, short-lived. Like, you can just have a few years in one place, and you leave a legacy that those few years allowed you to live. But then there's some, uh, you know, people that are going to be in your life for all of your life. And, and you get to be the imprinter of that life. Our kids, obviously, our other family members. If you get to Terry, some of you have grown up in Brandon your whole life. Some of you have been at this church for uh, all 20-plus years that this has been in existence. You, you guys are building day by day, choice by choice, your legacy, the way that you'll be remembered. And, and you are imprinting. You are leaving a bit of yourself in the lives of those that you live with. How's your legacy going? What kind of legacy are you leaving? Sometimes it's the only thing that we uh, have to rely on because at, at certain points in people's lives, maybe they, they stray. They, they aren't in contact with us or they won't listen to us as we talk to them about spiritual things. I got a, a son uh, whose name is Ben and he's kind of at that stage right now. He, uh, he came home, uh, surprised his mother and I on Tuesday uh, he was at Orlando dropping a friend off at the airport and uh, called us and see, uh, to see if we could have lunch, uh, read, see if I would buy him lunch. And uh, uh, no, it was just, uh, we were just so grateful. We don't get to see him. He lives over on the other side of the state now, and he's kind of grown. 
He's got his own life, and uh, he comes in, and, and we've had conversations over the last year about you know where he at, where he's at in his faith, and the things that he's wrestling with, and his belief, and and some of the choices that he's making in his life, and 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 two percent of me is cool with it. Two percent of me is like I understand that everybody's got to figure this out for themselves, right? I mean, everybody's got to. If it's going to be your faith, it's got to be your faith. You choose it, not because you grew up going to church with your, your pastor father and a mom who loves Jesus. You you choose it if you need to choose it. Anybody there? Anybody know what I'm talking about? But ninety eight percent of me wants to come across the table <laughs> and just shake him and be like, seriously, bro. It's the greatest thing that ever happens to anybody. What's taking you so long? And in my absence, not in his life every day, I have to bank on my legacy and my wife's legacy and the people who have been in a part of his life's legacy and, and just trust that God's going to use those memories and new people that imprint on them. And, and that's how people who don't know Jesus or people who are kind of wandering from Jesus, they get encouraged to come to him, to follow him. How's your legacy? I want to talk about it today as we discuss Paul's goodbye to the Ephesians here in Acts chapter 20. And the question I want us to answer is this. How, how do we, you and I, create a legacy that honors God best? Now we're going to see uh, kind of a template for us in Paul's goodbye. There's five things. Everybody give me five fingers. Put them up. Let me see them. Yeah, there's five things. You can put them down now. It's like we're waving to each other. It's nice. But the, the first one is this. If you're going to leave a legacy that honors God... You've got to live on purpose. There's got to be purpose in your life. You've got to understand what God designed you to do, called you to do, and you've got to go do it. No excuses. The second thing is you've got to serve humbly. Within that purpose, within his path, you serve people humbly, always, regardless of what it costs you. The third thing, that you speak clearly. You say what needs to be said when it needs to be said. No dodging the truth. Speak the truth in love. And take time to say the things that are going to be an encouragement to other people. And the fourth thing is we see that Paul walked obediently. Uh, regardless of the cost of his life, he, he, he honored God. He did what uh, other people would duck out on because it's hard or difficult or comes with a price. He, he chose it because he saw obedience to Christ as greater than the value of his own life. And then finally, uh, he gets kind of, you know, uh, brisk. Paul is known sometimes for having uh, blunt <laughs> communication. And at the end, he just says, I got no regrets. And that's the fifth thing. You want to get to the end of this goodbye or whatever your, the final goodbye for you is going to be. You want to get to the end and you want to be able to say, no regrets. I left it all on the field. I did all that I could for the glory of God. Let's talk about those things together. Starts in verse 17 of chapter 20 where it says, Now from Miletus, he sends to Ephesus and he calls the elders of the church to come to him. I skipped a few verses if you were here last week. I skipped a, a chunk in there where he kind of goes on a, a bunch of, you know, short trips. He's kind of ping-ponging around the Mediterranean. Then he finally ends up in this place called Miletus, which is only about 60 miles by land from Ephesus. And he can't get up to Ephesus for whatever reason because he's got to catch a boat to get down to Jerusalem. Uh, but he, he, he sends for his, his, his friends, the elders at Ephesus, where he spent these three years uh, planning a church and training them. These are his trusted leaders, Timothy among them. And, and he says, come to me. I want to say goodbye. I want to give you some, some final words as I head towards Jerusalem. And the first thing that we're going to see is that he came to them and he said, 
you yourselves know. This is a, a way of him saying, don't forget, you remember, you know how I lived among you. And he, and he uses some superlatives here. He says, the whole time, from the very first moment that I was there, that I set foot in Asia. It's him talking about, hey, listen, when I got there, I was on a mission. And you know that the whole time I was there, I stuck with the mission. I stayed the course. I did what Jesus called me to do amongst you. Um, even in the times where things got tough, we're going to talk about those, some of those more in here, here in his little speech, his goodbye, but in the times where Paul was uh, you know, first at the, at the synagogue in Ephesus, that's where he would always start when he came to a new town. He'd start amongst the Jews and in the synagogue, and he'd try to share the gospel of Jesus Christ there, and usually after a time, they got tired of him. They figured out, hey, wait, this guy who's uh, you know, a Pharisee amongst the Pharisees, this, this, this incredible understander of our law and our our, our scriptures, he's teaching something completely different than our, our rabbi is. We've got to get him out of here, and that's, that's why the Jews didn't like Paul. So about three months into it, it tells us just a chapter ago, he gets booted from the synagogue in Ephesus, and he has to go find another place. And so he doesn't just roll up his tent-making business and head out of town. He says, I've got to find another place. He goes to this Gentile, a guy named Tyrannus, and he rents his house out, his hall out. And he just starts speaking. It tells us there in the middle of Acts chapter 19 that he just speaks day after day after day to whoever will listen, makes his tents in the morning, goes to the, the hall of Tyrannus in the afternoon, and he speaks all afternoon, goes back and finishes up the tents. In the, I mean, he works 16 hours day, eight days building tents and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ for two straight years. And in the end, Everybody, it says there in, in, in Acts chapter 19, in the end, everybody in Asia, everybody in the region, either from him or from someone he told, has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul knew how to stick to it. I don't know if I could be labeled as such. Anybody here a great starter? Anybody here good at beginning? Not so great at finishing things off? Come on, just me? Yeah. Uh, we have all kinds of great dreams about how this could work out and this could work out. And then we even get started on them, you know, like projects at the house. Anybody got something that's not done at the house? You've already gone to Home Depot. You got some people, women are pointing. Yeah, boy. Yeah. <laughs> you already went to Home Depot. You got all this stuff. You're, I mean, everything's ready, but then you just squirrel and then off you go. You just, something happened and it's just laying there. You got a bathroom that just just a hole in the floor and, uh, you're, you know, the people in your house are like, hey. I want to quit going outside. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's all too often what happens in the call of a Christian's life. They, they sense that God's called them to reach this one person or to serve in this one ministry or to, or, or to do whatever God's called us to do, and we're like, that's it. We get all fired up at a service like this. That's it. I'm doing it. And then we, we sign up or you know, sign in or, or lock down, and then three weeks later we're like, I don't know. This is costing me more than I thought. This is... This is, uh, you know, more time than I thought I'd have to put in, and, uh, you know, someone else will do it. We tap out. Last week, we, we, did, we talked about service, speaking of signing up. There's 419 people in the middle of July who signed up to serve at our church this coming semester. Isn't that great? That's amazing stuff. But here's the deal. <laughs> when I talked to our staff about having people sign cards, some of them, I won't, they'll go nameless, but some of them were, were a little bit uh, doubtful. Because in their experience, when people have signed up on cards, they're fine with, you know, putting pen to paper on the day that, you know, you know God spoke and I knew I was supposed to do this. But uh, when it comes time to answering the phone, 
and confirming. Uh, it's always the wrong number for some reason. <laughs> Bay what? I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe not like that, but maybe more Christian, maybe kinder, backed up with lots of good excuses, but follow through, that's something that can be fleeting. The Bible tells us all over the place that follow through is what God commands. It's called perseverance. It's something that we're supposed to have as followers of Jesus Christ. What he's called us to, we stick to. It says in uh, Paul's writings, as we're talking about living life on purpose, in Paul's writings to the Corinthians, uh, the Corinthians were supposed to give this great offering to the church in Jerusalem, and they had been sh- kind of short, kind of uh, not doing it. And so Paul writes in the second letter that he gives them uh, these words. He says, in this matter, I give my judgment according to this uh, offering. He says, uh, this benefits you. You giving this offering, you following through is to your credit, it's to your benefit, because a year ago you started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Like, I told you that at first you had to do it, and then you didn't want to, but then you, you got, a, got a, a vision for it, you got excited about it, and, and you were desiring to do it, but, but that, that you ought to and you want to has not turned into I did. He says, in the next verse, he says, listen, finish doing it as well. Finish it so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Some of us worry that we're not going to have enough or there's not enough in us to do what God's called us to do. Um, and, and that's what sidetracks us. Some of us get started and, and, and things don't go well, and so those, those early defeats sidetrack us. There's all kinds of things that sidetrack us. Storms come, but God wants us to persist. And even, listen, I'm going to talk to some of you who have kind of taken a break from what you know God's called you to do, the purpose that he's called you to live. If you're kind of on a, on a hiatus, a sabbatical, a break from those things, I want to be maybe the little poker in your side that says, hey, maybe it's time to get going on that again. Because, unfortunately, uh, God gives us free will, and we could choose to stop living on purpose for him. But then God inspires us, I pray, even today, uh, to get going with him again. I went home and cut my grass uh, one of the days this week. I think it was Wednesday. And uh, it, it rains every night now at 5 o'clock. Cause we're in that season. And so I get home, and I'm like, I'm going to try to you know, pop this in as, as, as quick as I can. And uh, it's, a, it's a big field, big yard, and I got this riding lawnmower. And, uh, and the clouds are just coming. And I'm about halfway done, and now they're right over top of us, and it's starting to sprinkle. And then, you guys time out the thunder and the lightning? Yeah, it was close, all right? And I saw the bolt off in the distance, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm going to die out of here mowing my lawn. Because I'm one of those guys, once I start something in that realm, not all realms, but in, in the cutting my grass, I just don't want to have to be doing it again. I just want to be done. But it got too stupid, and I had to go inside. So I went inside, and like a third of my grass, uh, all of the backyard, is like two different levels now. Now, who, confess, anybody who cuts their grass, has anybody just left it till next week? And now you got like tall grass and then like Sahara or Savannah, that's where I was, Sahara's the desert, Don't, that's not a good, but so, Savannah, it's like really high. And that's just what I would normally do, but the next day I came home and I walked in and looked out my back window and I saw the grass and I was going to sit down and just relax and get ready for dinner, but I said, no. The grass must be cut. And I hopped on the, the mower and finished it off. And that's kind of silly, but that's, that's what happens with us. Sometimes we get going with Jesus and, and the rains come and the storms come and the distractions come and we, we leave things unfinished. 
But we're, listen, <laughs> we're building our legacy. So if God leads you to disciple your kids, which all of us should do it's on some form, and you think, I'm going to do this in a more organized way, and you start, but then his soccer schedule and your work schedule and all these things got in the way, and you just kind of put it on hold, and it's been on hold for the last four years. Hey, get back out there and cut the grass. If you've known that you've got gifts to give to this church and you weren't part of the 419 last week that signed up to serve, but you're hearing it again on another week, two weeks in a row, and, and God's telling you, hey, you served in great ways in a previous church, or you got these gifts to bring this church, and you're just sitting on them. Get out and finish cutting the grass because a legacy is built on purpose. Our decisions shape it. That's the first thing. The second thing is serving humbly. Paul goes on in his conversation here in Acts, and he says this. He says, and when they came to him, this is verse 18 again, he said, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time uh, from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Uh, I was serving the Lord with all humility. That means in complete humility. Uh, I, had, I had no pride. I had, I had no uh, inclination of, of deserving anything. I, I just served God wherever he told me to, however he told me to, uh, without question. In complete humility, I served him. Even when the tears came and even when the trials came and all the plots that the Jews had against me, uh, which he mentions here in passing, we don't have a a ton of report on that in Luke's uh, account here in in the book of Acts. But, but, I mean, every day Paul woke up to adversity. And every day Paul said, I'm going to still serve humbly. Again, this goes to, you know, that idea of... uh, uh, you know, I, I really want to do this. You've heard me speak on this before. I'd, I'd love to be humble in my service to others. I'd love to be humble in my service to Christ. Uh, that's my intention. When I walk out this door, that's what I'm going to do. And then we get home and serving becomes something that costs us more than we thought. Serving becomes something where we lose. And we're like, well, I don't want to lose. I mean, I want to get mine as I'm giving you yours. So how can we work that out? And the humility in service gets lost. And we serve so as to be served. And we serve for all other purposes. But humility isn't one of them. We need to be uh, following through in this area. Serving with humility as God propels us to do so. Uh, A lot of times we talk big and don't follow up with our game. This young guy texted his Girlfriend, he said this, babe, I would climb the highest mountain. I'd cross the burning desert. I'd even die for you. I can't wait to see you tonight if it doesn't rain. (laughs) Something gets kind of lost in translation there, right? It's not, uh, it's his words, but it's not his intent. You know, I I think we should uh, understand that it's the hard times that prove our faith. It's it's when, it's when, uh, Uh, Serving humbly becomes most difficult that we learn the most in serving humbly. Paul said as much in his letter to the Philippians, he was writing from jail and he said, have this mind, let this be what, um, you know, pervades your thinking. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We have it because Jesus is in us. Uh, Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not Count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He's talking about humility. So Jesus, son of God, God himself, chooses of his own volition to not see himself as equal with God, to, 
to, to, to lower himself. He says he, 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 he made himself nothing. He, he took the form of a servant and he was born in the likeness of men. And just let your head kind of wrap around that. God, the eternal, the uh, all-powerful, all the omnis, omnipotent, om, omniscient, uh, omnipresent. He's, he's, he's all those things. And he confines himself into a human carcass and limits himself and does only what the Father bids him. That's the level of uh, humility and service that we're supposed to aspire to. It says in verse eight that uh, being found, Jesus being found in human form, he humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, my prayer is that when I get to my final goodbye, one of the things that someone will get up and talk about uh, from my life is the fact that uh, I put God and others ahead of myself. I, I don't do it perfectly, uh, but I've, I've had the privilege of sitting in, in funerals and listening to people get up and tell that very story about the ones that they're remembering that day. Uh, a woman in our church uh, had a long uh, uh, and, and loving relationship with her mom. She died at an old age, and, and she and her brothers and sisters got together and just had uh, one of the funnest, and I don't know if funerals were supposed to be fun, but they put the fun in funeral. They, they, they got up there, and they, they just laughed and told stories. They were a very close family. Uh, everybody spoke, and, and it was just a joy to hear of the legacy of this woman uh, that they had the privilege to call mom. But almost every one of them got to the point uh, in their stories and in their tell, you know, the, the, the laughter that they said, but I'll never forget. And then they'd, they'd list off all of these ways that this woman even though she was stern at times and all these other things at times, she would just selflessly and sacrificially provide for them whatever she had. She would go second so that they could go first. And those were the lessons that they told at her home going. Those were the things that I trust have been imprinted on them and that they're showing their kids as they grow old now. Uh, people remember our sacrifice. People remember our humility. I pray people remember that of me. And they remember that of you. The third thing is this, speak clearly. Speak clearly. Paul goes on in Acts 20, 20, he says this, how I, remember, he says, you guys know, I, I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. He says, in the next verse, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul was bold. He would say what needed to be said. He, he would speak the truth. Whatever was required for their good, he, he would offer it. And as we build our legacy, I, I pray that we are the people, not, not the yellers and screamers, not the bullhorn holders, uh, but the folks who are willing. We are people who are willing to say what needs to be said in whatever situation God puts us in. It takes courage, it's much easier to be quiet. It's much easier to just to, uh, to skip out on the things that God's prompting us to say in, in the lives of other people. Usually it comes in two forms, our silence, it comes in two forms. We withhold the good and we withhold the hard. We withhold the good, a lot of, a lot of times, you know, uh, I've talked to guys uh, whose dads never told them that they loved them. Uh, whose dad's never said an encouraging word to them. You think that left an imprint on that person's life? And it's so easy to be encouraging. 
It's so easy to find something positive to accentuate in someone's life. I mean, we just take for granted that people know that we love them. We take for granted that we know that they're, you know, we think that they're awesome and that they're doing a great job. But those words, hey, you're doing a great job. Hey, I'm so proud of you. Hey, when you did this, it made this difference in my life and in the lives of others. Those, those are the words of life. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I pray today that you give compliments, encouragements to everybody you see at least once today. The people in your family. Take the time. I can't tell you, I was out golfing with a bunch of guys the other day, and uh, uh, they're friends of mine and been friends of mine for years now. And uh, we're all guys, so we all you know, make fun of each other constantly. And uh, uh, it's just how we roll. Uh, but something I was stirring in me in my, on the 14th hole, and I, I just wanted to tell these guys how much I really appreciated them. I'm, I'm just grateful to have them for friends, to have these times together when we get to go out and do this stupid thing that we do, chasing a white ball around a field. And, uh, but it, I, I just, I felt that warmth. Has anybody ever been there? And I didn't say it. Why? I don't know. I just didn't. And I want you, when God prompts you to share that kind of love and encouragement and appreciation with people, just let it out. Just say it. And if they look at you like, oh, weirdo, you know, hey, who cares? Just let it out. I really appreciate you guys that I call. I know y'all. You're all very nice. Anyway. Say the hard things too, though. Not just the good things. Say the hard things. So many families are, uh, every family is dysfunctional. Can we all agree? Every one of you guys got a dysfunctional family. Because you're in it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> right? I'm not being harsh there. I'm in one too. I'm messing mine up. But uh, every, every family is dysfunctional, but the really dysfunctional ones are the ones who will not say the hard things. They're the families where people just let stuff go over and over again. Or, or, or when they do say the hard things, they say them at such a volume and with, with such flash and flurry that they never get really heard. They're just an, uh, additions to an argument. Now, we've got to figure out in life how to speak the truth and love in such a way that the truth can affect those that we love. That's how it's supposed to work. And Paul, as he was with these Ephesian followers of Jesus Christ, he was just, hey, like, I didn't hold anything back. I, if, it was, if it was good, I encouraged you in it. If it was something that needed to change, I told you about it. And that was the difference maker. He lived on purpose, he served humbly, and he spoke clearly. I sat down with my kids at the end of a uh, a little three-day vacation that we had together over in Jacksonville. We had had a good time going to restaurants and hanging out. We, we always go bowling when we get together. I don't know. We just started doing that when they were little, and now it's like our thing. We go bowling somewhere. We find the, the bowling alley and bowl in the middle of the day. And uh, So we just finished our bowling, and uh, we were going back to the hotel where uh, four of us were staying. Ben lived in Jack- still does live in Jacksonville, so he was getting out. And, and I just felt the prompting of God to say something. I don't do it all the time. Uh, but they were all getting ready to bust out the doors on, on our car, and I was like, hey, sit, 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 sit here, just sit for a second. And I did, anybody had the rearview uh, mirror conversation? <laughs> Where you're in the driver's seat, and you can just see them, and they can see your eyes, right? I didn't even turn around. Uh, but I, I, I told them these things. I, I told them I love them. I told them I'm proud of them. They're 20 and 21 and 22 years old now. Uh, I told them that they're a blessing to their mother and I and that uh, nothing will ever change our love for them. But then I told them, 
not from Pastor Mark, not from a guy who works at a church, but as your father and as your fellow human. I want you to know I believe in Jesus Christ. And I love him with all my heart, and he's made the difference in my life. And we've told you that for always. But in case that got skewed in your whole being a pastor's kid, your whole growing up in a church, and that being, uh, you know, your world, I want you to know that. Even if I wasn't a pastor, I'd love Jesus Christ. Even if I, w- I, I love Jesus, and I want you to love Jesus. More than anything else for you, I want you to know and love and follow Jesus. And I will pray to that end, and I will trust that God will lead you to that end. And, and your, your mother and I just want you to know that. And then I said, and I think you're an idiot if you don't. Love you. Get out. <laughs> but I trust that those are the things that God's going to use in my, my kids' lives and in, in the opportunities that I have to share with other people, those kinds of things. Love you, love you, love you. Love, love, love truth and let God deal with the results the fourth thing I'm going to skip those verses that I was going to read and talk about walking obediently live on purpose serve humbly speak clearly and walk obediently Paul's going to move from his past to talking about his future he says now behold I'm going to Jerusalem I'm constrained by the spirit the spirit's got me in a headlock I got to do what the Holy Spirit's leading me to do. I'm going to Jerusalem knowing what will happen, not knowing, excuse me, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city I visit on the way, imprisonment and afflictions afflictions await me. (laughs) Okay. So you and I are praying, hey, Lord, pray for this next week. I pray it's a great week. And then God... uh, in our spirits, says to us, hey, it's going to be a rough week. In fact, if you go to work this week, you're going to get fired, and uh, your car's going to you know, die on the way, and it's just going to be one hard thing after another hard thing. How many in here are like, thanks for the tip? <laughs> I'm not going. Dodge that bullet. Thanks, Lord. Dust off your resume. What? I mean, we would, we would take those kinds of revelations as God saying, here you go. I'm rescuing you. I'm, 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 I'm keeping you. But, but here's what God did. He told Paul, through the Holy Spirit, you're going to Jerusalem. Paul's like, I'm in. Let's go. And then he said, and by the way, <laughs> you're going to get the snot kicked out of you the whole time. You're going to be incarcerated. You're going to go through trial after trial after trial. And I still want you to go to Jerusalem. Here's what Paul says. He says, okay, why? Because Paul says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only, if only I may finish my course. If only I can live out this mission that God has given me. If only I can finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to be able to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He's like, bring it. Because me and my comfort is less important to me than me obeying my God. Now, on, on face value, I think most of us in here, because I know you're good Christian folks, if we were asked that question, obeying God more important than your comfort, everybody could say yes to some degree, right? 
And we all would, absolutely. <laughs> but there's a, there's a ceiling on, on, on comfort, isn't there? Like, like, I'll go through discomfort up till here. And then you've got to ask me again. Because maybe, I don't know, there's things that are beyond what you've experienced now that are awaiting you, and you're like, yeah, I want to obey God. But then those things are going to come, and you're going to be like, wow, I don't know if I want to obey God. And what I hope as you think about your legacy and as you continue building it is that today this gets square in your head. Regardless of what comes, regardless of what we face in our future, whatever God leads us into, obeying him is way better and more glorifying than achieving our own comfort. I was a young youth pastor and I was sitting in a a living room in the city that I lived in, in a little place called Pekin, Illinois. I had gathered all of our students for uh, missions night. It was missions conference at our church and we had all the missionaries that we supported in and one of them was a guy named Peter. He was from Poland uh, and so that's what I called him, Peter from Poland. I couldn't say his last name anyway. And uh, so Peter from Poland was there and the kids and I were asking him questions about his life and Peter was just not, uh, if you can kind of picture Peter, Peter, he weighed about 100 pounds he was about, you know, this tall, and he just had this huge, before it was cool to have beards, I know Brad shaved his, but it was, it was this huge, you know, uh, Duck Dynasty beard and, and really thick glasses, and uh, he was just quiet, very demure, very, like you had to really push him, you know, to get him to say some stuff, and uh, it's, English was not his first language, I'm sure that was part of it, but um, uh, he, was, he was a Polish national who was serving in the, in the ministry in Poland, and, and so we just peppered him with questions, and finally I got to this one. I said, Peter, if you had just a credo, a motto that you could share with us about ministry life and, you know, let these American kids, uh, you know, know what, what's most important in following Jesus, what would it be? And, and Peter perked up. His eyes got open as he understood and translated in his head the things that I was saying to him. He says, oh, that's easy. And he looked at the kids. It's the first time he's really had eye contact with me. He looked right at him. He said, choose the difficult Choose the difficult. I thought that was weird. I, I, I was expecting, you know, um, uh, serve the Lord or glorify God in all things or, you know, some maxim like that. But he just said, no, it's easy. Choose the difficult. Choose the difficult. And we asked him why. He says, because it's in the difficult things that you get closer to Christ and more like Christ than you ever will anywhere else. Did you get that? It's in the difficult things that you get closer to Christ and more like Christ than you will anywhere else. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to take up our cross and follow him. It tells us that we're supposed to share in his sufferings. That's all on purpose, y'all. He wants us to experience those trials because in those trials, if we stay faithful, if we persevere with him, if we cling to him instead of run from him, then what God does is in those moments, he makes us more like Jesus than we've ever been. And he shows us more about what it is to follow him than we'll ever know. It's so easy for us to tap out. I was smart the other day and decided to go uh, up on a roof that's over a trailer my wife wants me to extricate and take to my house. It's this old uh, trailer that uh, was on this property and then they built a house around it. It's up in Thornton, Odessa. My wife found it and, uh, and she wants to restore it. And I don't know anything about that. Here we go. 
but we've been out there, my friend Osha and I, a couple different times trying to figure out how we can get this trailer away from the house without having to wreck the house because that's a lot of work. Be smarter, not work harder, right? But we are out of ideas. It's just going to be too exorbitant costs, and, and we've got to rip this house down that's around this trailer now. So <laughs> smart guy <laughs> says, when do you want to do this? And other smart guy, Osha, says, how about 2 o'clock on Friday? We'll start tearing the roof off. Okay, 2 o'clock on Friday, it was like walking on the sun. <laughs> and and we, we threw all our tools up there. First five minutes, man, we were all stoked to get up there and do the things that we were supposed to do. Uh, first five minutes, we were just, you know, ripping, you know, shovels and pitchforks and everything. And, uh, you know, figured out it was easier to do by hand. And so we were just going pretty good for about 15 minutes there. But then, you know, 50-something-year-old Osha and me, uh, we started kind of feeling the effects of the sun. I understand heat stroke now. Because I think I was right there. And 25, 30 minutes into this process, uh, we had this huge sense of what we we're going to do. We we're going to rip this all off, get the tar paper off, pull off the plywood, start cutting down the joists, all these things. Um, we walked down the ladder again to get in some shade and not die, rehydrate a bit, and we rearranged our, our goals. <laughs> How about we just get the shingles off and go home? What do you say? And that's what we did. Why? Well, because the sun was shining. It was hot up there. We thought we could die. On an earthly level, it was a good call. We could die. But for the purposes of my illustration, here's the deal. You're going to be up on some hot roofs in life. You're going to have all these grand ideas. You're going to want to live on purpose and serve humbly and speak clearly. And then <laughs> affliction is going to come. The sun's going to shine, and you're going to wonder, what am I doing up here? This is not what I thought. And you're going to feel like, maybe not literally, but emotionally, relationally, in all kinds of ways, you're going to feel like, I'm going to die. This is it. But if you know that you know that you know that this is what God's called you to, that this is his purpose in your life, stay on the roof, do what he calls you to, how he calls you to, with who he calls you to, build your legacy, persevere, and let God be your strength. There's all kinds of things that keep us from that. It's kind of like uh, being a hoarder. Anybody seen that show? You know, it's these uh, people who just can't get rid of anything, and so they just keep stacking it up in their houses. It'll get to be like five, six, seven feet high, all the way to the ceiling high. They've, they've kind of carved hallways out of their piles so they can navigate their homes. And uh, so people come in, it's kind of this big intervention. The family says, we've got to get rid of this. It's not healthy for you to live in this environment. And so they start taking the contents of the house outside, and they sort them into piles, right? There's the uh, keep pile, which is supposed to be the smallest. There's the... Uh, uh, the maybe sale pile, and then there's the junk pile, trash pile. And I, I, don't, I, I didn't watch that a bunch, but when Eleanor would make me, I would watch it. And uh, um, every, every episode was the same. It was, you know, uh, there'd be this huge discussion over something that it, to everybody else on the world is obviously trash. It's garbage. It, it's like unhealthy to be around. It's like, it's like radioactive. Uh, <laughs> But this person just, no, oh, it's so special to me because in 1984, blah, 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 da, dee, 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 right? And they can't let it go. And I think 
uh, that's how a lot of us are in life. Uh, we we want to walk obediently with Jesus, but we're hoarders. We're hoarding what this world has to give us. We're hoarding our comfort. We're hoarding what, what our expectations are and what our demands are of life. You know, and, and, and what God wants us to do today, if you're sitting here, is take everything in your house outside and ask him, what should I keep? And then whatever shouldn't be there, it's trash. Get rid of it. It shouldn't stand in your way. Paul talks about that again as he writes his friends in Philippi. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them, say it with me, as rubbish. He wrote this from prison. I mean, he wasn't lying. He wasn't being dramatic. He didn't have anything. He was in an orange jumpsuit, owner of nothing. But here he's writing this cheery letter to his friends from Philippi saying, this is the best. Why? Because I'm walking obediently with my Savior. I don't care what happens to me. I don't care about my stuff. My life is his. That leads us to our last thing. No regrets. No regrets. Look what Paul says as he closes this part of his goodbye. He says, now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. That's, that's his declaration. Apparently, uh, the Holy Spirit told him that too. You're not coming back. And if, Spoiler alert, but keep coming to church, but he's not coming back. He's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to take one more journey. It's called his fourth trip. It's not a missionary trip. He's on a prison ship. He's heading to Rome for his trial. And then uh, antiquity, history has told us that he stays in Rome until he is executed for being a follower of Jesus Christ. This is it. This is his literal last words to Ephesus. He says in the next verse, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. Interesting. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He says, listen man, I got no regrets. I'm innocent of all y'all. Uh, this, this is no longer in my hands. I am confident that in my three years with you, I did everything that I was supposed to do to the glory of God and for his sake, and you, you are the ones now who must determine what you're going to do with the legacy that I've left you. Oh, that all of us could get to that, to that final goodbye and be able to lay in that bed or, or wherever we're going to do our final goodbyes and to be able to think in our minds and know in our hearts that we have no regrets. That, that we weren't perfect. Listen, I'm not talking about living a perfect life. But, but at our core, we sought to live on purpose. We sought to serve humbly. When we had the opportunity, we spoke clearly. And it's, in as many ways as we could, maybe sometimes with failure, but as in many ways as we could, we walked obediently with Christ. That's how we'll be able to lay our heads on our pillows at the end and be able to say, no regrets. Now, for that to happen, it's going to require a greater degree of surrender. Brad's going to come out. We're going to sing this song together. We talk about it here all the time. We say here as a church that we exist to surrender to God. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that everything I preach to you, not just today, but every Sunday that we're together, is contingent on your willingness to let go and to let God, to allow him to work through you. To say to him, okay, uh, ex 
Examine me, Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. Purify me, Lord. Help me submit to you again because I want to surrender all. Everything, nothing less, I give you. You want to build a legacy worthy of our God and worthy of people following? Starts with surrender. So that's my ultimate prayer for you today. Even as you seek to live on purpose and speak humbly, or serve humbly and speak clearly and walk obediently, uh, if you want to have no regrets in that, it's going to take surrender. So if you're here today and you haven't surrendered to Jesus uh, at all for the first time, come and talk to me ever. I'd love to share with you how you can be a Christian. But if you're a Christian and you've kind of been yeah, sort of surrendered, kind of surrendered, surrendered in some things, figure out what those things are. Put them in the trash pile. The things that you're worshiping outside of our God and surrender all to him. Can you stand with us as we sing? Let's sing. Everything and nothing less I give you everything and nothing less for God, may we be able to say goodbye knowing that we've done what we can to honor you and to leave a legacy with those that we know and love. If we can do that, God, we'll be grateful. Uh, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen and amen.